Tony Johnson joins us on Sports Talk now as we look at the continuing saga of the All Blacks. But no, we're not talking about Razor Robertson versus Jamie Joseph versus Ian Foster versus Mark Robinson versus everybody else. We're going to start things off with the mass exodus that we are currently experiencing. Richie Mwanga has gone. Bowden Barrett is on his way. Aaron Smith is off. Brody Retellich disappeared. Peter Gasuakola is already gone. Dane Coles is retiring. Sam Whitelet's going to disappear shortly. The list goes on and on. This has happened before, Tony. Is at the end of the world for the All Blacks and whoever comes in to coach in 2024? Yeah, I, I think you missed, missed uh, Brad Weber out of that as well. He's another one who's heading off. Look, it's happened before. It, it tends to happen at the end of the four-year cycle. Uh, it happened after 2015 when the All Blacks won the World Cup and they managed to make a pretty good transition after that uh, with a, a, a whole raft of probably the, the, the biggest uh, quality block that we've ever lost from the All Blacks in, in one go. And, you know, it happened again after 2019. But to me, this just feels a little bit more grave, more more serious the situation because you're taking out two very good halfbacks. You're taking out two number 10s. You're taking out quite possibly the two guys who've been at the, you know, the heart of the all-black pack for a long time. No question uh, that this, this is going to leave whoever is the all-black coach next year with a major re- rebuild on his hands. And it's, it's just one of the inevitabilities of uh, professional rugby. You say it's inevitable. Um, New Zealand rugby doing enough, do you think, to try and retain the services of not the older guys that are long in the tooth that are off to cash the cheque, but the, the younger guys who are still very much in their prime who we will miss. Is this on them to stop that or do they just shrug their shoulders? Well, most of the guys that we're talking about here, as I say, Colsey, he's 36. Um, you know, he's, he's probably pretty young, 36. But, you know, they, these are guys who have probably put the, the, the yards in. You know, they've done, they feel everything that they, they've given everything they can give. Uh, you wouldn't begrudge a guy like Sam Whitelock the opportunity to go off and spend a couple of years, you know, just fattening up the retirement fund. I, I wouldn't begrudge him that at all after all the service he's given. Uh, you, you're right. I think the priority has to be uh, the younger guys. Uh, they know they've tried the, the, the sabbaticals, and to me, they're a bit of a band aid treatment um, because you know you've got guys in this group who've been on sabbaticals, and here they are going off again. So, uh, obviously, with some more money coming in um, via the you know the Silver Lake deal, you know, hopefully uh, they will be able to stop or keep the core, the best players from the next generation in the country. Otherwise, it, it, it is going to really impact on the All Blacks' chances of keeping their spot in the, in the top three or four nations in the world. So you're suggesting they should throw more money at the younger ones or the, the, mid, the mid-aged ones, not middle-aged, the mid-aged characters that still have got a lot to offer at an international level? Well, there's a lot of areas of the game that need money throwing at them at the moment. You can go to club rugby, the grassroots of the game, um, just, you know, the development programs, all of those sorts of things. They all in desperate need of money, but I, I think they've got to make a real effort. Uh, it, it's not easy. I mean, you look at South Africa, they've pretty much given up the ghost, um, and, and most of their players in particular are based in Japan. And I suppose the other thing that they could look at doing is – relinquishing or, or loosening some of the conditions that they've had on how you get picked for the All Blacks. Now, up until now, they've been steadfast. You have to play Super Rugby. I've always supported that uh, because I think, you know, it's an important product and, you know, for the integrity of that competition, I, I, I've always supported the idea that you can't play for the All Blacks unless 
uh, you're playing super rugby in New Zealand. Maybe they might have to rethink that. Maybe they could come to some sort of arrangement with Japan. Um, I wouldn't like it to be willy-nilly, but if they could get into some sort of arrangement with the Japanese, uh, you know, that maybe you can pick some players out of there. I, I don't know, Darcy. There, there are, I guess, um, several ways of handling the situation. The, the, but the, the bottom line is um, some of the clubs overseas have just got so much money to throw at players. Um, you know, it's always going to be hard to compete. Tony Johnson joins us here on News Talk ZB. So a bit of frustration from NZR around the Japanese clubs. Not a lot they can do. So as opposed to attack, they've got to, uh, I suppose, work in cahoots with them. That's the best way forward because it's not going to stop, well, is it? Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I was disappointed that Japan coming into Super Rugby didn't work. Um, and there were a number of reasons. And a lot of those lie with the Japanese. They didn't want to do anything to upset their club system and, and the industrial giants that bankroll the game over there. It's interesting that they seem to have made a little move away from that with the branding of the team. So, you know, who knows what that space will be in the future. You know, so that was disappointing that it didn't work. Um, I don't know. The Australians have tried, you know, the Gato law, that sort of thing, uh, where you allow some players to come back from overseas. It always gets very, very messy. And, and as I say, I've, I've always felt that New Zealand rugby had the right policy, but I guess it's one of those things they're going to have to keep looking at to see whether it is still feasible going forward. And of course, you know, we've got to wait and see the impact of, of, of the influx of money from the Silver Lake deal, what positive effect that can have on it. Who watches the Japanese product? We know they go over there because the, the football's not as tough and the money's good and they get to experience an overseas culture and so on and so forth. But is there anything on it? Does anyone watch it? Is it enjoyed? Is it loved? Is it embraced? Well, they get they get good crowds over there. There's, there's a good level of interest in it. Uh, otherwise, if there wasn't, they wouldn't be in the position to keep luring the best players in the world. So it's not ego-driven by the big the big companies who are just like, we want... Um, as, yeah, as I say, I think they've tried to move away from that and give it a, a, you know, in the past it's always been about, you know, Toyota, Kubota, all that sort of thing, um, Panasonic, uh, and they've, they've tried to move away from that with the branding, which to me I, I think might be a way of, uh, you know, just loosening the situation up a little bit. Um but you know, it, it, there's not a ready solution. It, it it doesn't. There's nothing that jumps out and says, and, you know, unless we're able uh, to throw massive massive amounts of money at these guys, which we simply don't have at the moment. Then I think it's just going to continue. And and the the you know the main thrust is going to have to be trying to keep you know the best players in the country uh, as long as you can. So we've got. Well, have we got a depth issue? Because we're constantly losing players, and then someone turns up and goes, da-da, on the next big thing. Who is the next big thing? We're looking at first five, and we're looking at halfback. Have we got some form of cover there that's going to survive through the World Cup post this one here? Well, that's that's got to be one of the burning issues. In fact, nine and ten, I suppose, and it's just such an important part of the game. But you're losing Barrett, you're losing Maunga. Obviously, Damien McKenzie's still around to me. He always looked like a 15 who could pop up in the inside channels when required rather than the other way around. Um, Stephen Petalfetta, likewise. I think he's a brilliant fullback. Um, but, you know, they're going to have to mould um, those guys, perhaps one of those guys, in, into that starting Well, There are others around as well. Um, you know, you, you just wonder what sort of ceiling a guy like um, Peyton Spence has got. But he's still very, very young. I wouldn't want to be putting too much expectation on him at this stage of his career. 
Um, but this is going to be a test. And, and that's why I think one of the important things is that we've got to try and keep as much coaching expertise in the country as we can, because I think we're going to rely heavily on, on good coaches to get the best out of, you know, we've got a lot of great, uh, or uh, sorry, players with a lot of great potential in them. And it, it, it's about nurturing them so that they can uh, one day fill the shoes of Retallick, Smith, Barrett, those sorts of guys. One of the scariest things you can hear as a parent is quiet. But if you do get a little quiet time, have a listen to The Parenting Hangover. It's not scary at all. If I bump into a couple and they have a boy and they have a girl, and I'm like, oh, boy, girl, snip. You've got a boy, you've got a girl, get the snip. You're done. You get to figure out what it's like raising a girl, you get to figure out what it's like raising a boy. Save yourself a shit ton of stress and money. You've got your perfect little family. The Parenting Hangover with Clinton Jordan. New episodes every Thursday on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts.